how to work your wealth when you're in your 20s and 30s, why your 401k earnings may be taxed annually, how to spot a real IRS phone call from a fake one, and why is Joe selling knives? This is Your Money, Your Wealth. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, certified financial planner and author of Work Your Wealth, Mary Beth Storjahan explains how she helps millennials wrap their heads around financial basics. Joe and Al discuss a proposal to cut the corporate tax rate by taxing 401k gains, 13 pieces of money advice you can't afford to ignore, and how to spot an IRS phone scam. Hint, the IRS will always contact you by mail. The fellas also answer questions on LLC income versus S-corp income, deductions for traditional IRAs, and taking a personal loan for the down payment on investment property. Also, Big Al lists six steps to get super rich, none of which involve selling knives out of a trailer. Here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. We have a bunch of things to discuss today. Big Al just got back from Hawaii. How was your trip? Oh, it was magical, Joe. The, it was, uh, it's a place that Annie and I love to go to, uh, and... It was just great time, relationship uh, oh, enhancer, here we, here we go. B- here, builder. <laughs> oh, I just did so much in love. <laughs> Since you've been gone, yeah. All right, I'm sure that you didn't hear about this, but you might have because you got a pretty big brain. <laughs> did you know, um, President Trump? Right, he's trying to find a way to fund this corporate tax rate initiative. Are we right? Yeah. Where do you think he might go after? Where do you think he's going to do this? Oh, to fund the corporate? Because we're in the highest corporate tax rates, right? You've been a CPA for quite some time. And so he wants to bring it down to about 15% on the corporate level. Yeah, there's been all kinds of things. Maybe 20%, maybe 25%. But right now it's 35%. How does he want to fund it? I think um, he wants to bring more uh, uh, dollars back into the U.S. uh, And so he wants to make it easier for companies to do business in the U.S. so they're not sending their sales and operations off off overseas. I think that's how he's going to try to fund it. All right. So this just came out this week. Um, So this is by one of his advisors. We are actively working on a variety of different tax alternatives. Okay. We are exploring all opportunities. So here, the proposal to lower the uh, corporate tax rate to 15% was advanced by the Nonpartisan Tax Policy Center, a joint program led by Urban Institute of um, Institute. The extensive plan includes a 15% tax rate on all gains in 401k plans and other tax-preferred retirement accounts. Really? That'd be interesting. Which the proposal, two authors, included one of the conservative-leading American Enterprise Institute, say it would raise $48 billion in new revenues in 2018 and $60 billion um, in 2025. So taxing the deferrals in your 401k plan. Hmm. Okay. What do you think about that? I, I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, that's that's against their, the original promise of tax-deferred growth. So under existing law, capital gains and dividends, earnings on investments and retirement plans are not taxed until the savings are withdrawn, when they are taxed at regular income rates, right? Sure. So that lets the gains in retirement accounts go untaxed as the accounts grow, um, along with the tax brackets on plan participants, income deferrals excluding annual earnings from taxes accounted to nearly $159 billion in Lost tax revenue in 2015, they said. Got it. Okay. So the pre-tax contributions that you put in your 401k plan, IRAs, 403bs, whatever, that caused $159 billion in lost tax revenue. And more than $1 trillion is estimate uh, foregone revenue between 2015 and 2019. 
Well, we'd get all that tax money later when people would draw it. Exactly. So I, I, don't, I don't understand that. So how do you even calculate? All right, so let's say I got a 401k plan. You have a 401k plan. Right. And then they're saying they're going to tax 15% tax on annual gains in 401ks. So growth, income, whatever. Whatever it grows to. So yeah. let's say if you have a 10% gain, you're going to be taxed 15% on that. Yeah, that's I'm, I, actually I, I have never heard anyone propose anything like that. So Ever. I will predict that this will be dead on arrival, but... Uh, it's it's an interesting idea. So the, this one gentleman is saying, he's like, I can't believe why we wouldn't want to go after retirement accounts. Well, because they're retirement accounts. <laughs> yeah, let's make it tougher for people to right? retire. If you take a look at the average balance of these retirement accounts is abysmal. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, now you're going to tax the growth inside of a retirement account? On top of it. On top of it. And then are you double taxed on the way out? Yeah. So you'd have to... I, I or guess, you would have to figure, figure out, out the basis. basis, right? How would you do that? And then does that keep happening as you as you after you retire? Do you have to keep paying the fifteen percent gain? But it provides basis when you pull money out. What happens if you pull it out before the basis is calculated for that year? That's just strange. Very strange. I think it would cost a hundred and fifty billion dollars just to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so you might save some money in tax. It would piss be, a lot of people. It'd be off. good for the CPA profession, I suppose. I suppose. So, you know, because there's $24 trillion sitting in retirement accounts. Right. Right? Yeah. So there's a ton of money there. But I don't understand. The, I don't, these politicians do not have retirement accounts. They can't. <laughs> they have big pensions. Right. Right? So you probably haven't saved any money into a 401k plan. You have a pension that's going to pay you 90% of your salary for the rest of your life. Yeah. So let's uh, maybe we should tax all the pension plans, defined benefit plans. Yeah, as they grow. Yeah, as they grow. Right. You don't have a zero control over it, but the defined benefit plan, as it's growing, we're, yeah. then tax those too? Wow. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I've got to say that's very unlikely that that would happen, in my opinion. But, uh, wow. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, if you just think about the way taxes work, everyone wants to lower the tax rate, right? right? And so then there's two choices. There's either other ways to make up the revenue or you got to cut spending. But here's what he's saying is that, all right, well, if... If we cut the tax rate, well, that's going to substantially increase returns in your 401k plan. So if this tax rate goes cut, cut goes through, and the market already is kind of anticipating some sort of tax cut, right. some tax reform. Right. Right. So when you look at that, it's like, okay, well, here, I'm, I'm going to tax you because I'm creating more income for you. Right, so in your four hundred and one k plan that everyone right is contributing to, even a dollar. All right, now your dollar grows to two. Well, we're going to take fifteen percent of that growth versus these other individuals that have big fat defined benefit plans. That I mean, Al, you and I have been doing this a long time. Yes, and what I have found in my career is that people that do have very large pension plans, do they have large balances in four hundred and one k plans? Yeah, in general, no. Right. Because they don't have to. Yes. You know, they have this, all right, they know that, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to receive a $100,000 pension when I retire. What do I need to save into a 403B? Yeah, exactly. That, that is my retirement. I'm yeah. already putting money into this plan. Yeah, the company's doing it. Why should I? Right. So I'm putting 7% of my income in it. They're matching 7%, but they're right. not putting into Social Security. It's just going into that, and they, right. they get this pension. Yeah. So they think that 7% is a savings. But guess what? Everyone else that doesn't have that pension is putting 7% into Social Security. Well, it's not that much, but it's six and a, uh, about six and a quarter percent. Yeah. So it's like, well, how much are you saving? Oh, I'm saving six and a quarter percent of my income every year. 
Well, where is it? Where is it? Well, Social Security. No, we don't think that way. Right. But I think a lot of individuals that have these bigger pension plans kind of think that way. And I, and I don't blame them. God bless you. If you have a large pension, that's fantastic. Right. But most of us don't necessarily have these pensions. That's why we do this show, to help people create the retirement income that don't necessarily have a pension or to supplement their pensions. Um, and then also, I mean, I, I don't want to just paint this broad brush of saying everyone that has a pension doesn't have savings because that's not true at all. Yeah, we've either. seen lots of uh, cases where that's... They, they have, have giant pensions very, and giant... And then, you know, they, then they have a tax problem, plans. right? Yes. Because they got all this income coming from the pension and they have to take the required minimum distribution. And some of these people have worked for, let's say, companies and they have Social Security to boot. Right. So then you have the pension, Social Security, and now these large 401k or retirement accounts. Right. And then then that's where we come in to try to figure out a strategy to mitigate the tax. Because then you don't have an income problem. you got a tax problem. you got a tax problem. Yeah, right. And I think a lot of our listeners have that particular sure. problem sure. where it's like, okay, well, here, I've saved some money. Now how do I mitigate the tax, mitigate the fees, You know, trying to maximize my return and everything else in between? But I always think, because I forget what last year I read through that other plan, and I was like, this person probably has never contributed to a retirement account of just the, the, the logic going through. Right. And just the mechanics of saying, all right, well, now you're going to tax 15% of any gain that I have in my 401k plan. How is How do you work that? I just don't understand the math. And then so now I'm going to have basis in there. So is it going to be pro rata coming out because I already paid 15% when I start taking distributions? Or is it going to be taxed at ordinary income? Or is, right? It gets very complicated because right now, I mean, if you put money into an IRA and do not get a tax deduction, then when that money comes out and it's pro rata based upon the total IRA balance, but some of the money coming out is tax free because you never got a tax benefit. So that's the idea here. If there's some way that they're going to pay, you're going to have to pay taxes on this balance, then that should give you basis. And then it gets more complicated when you're taking the money out. Just right now, if you take a look at individuals that have after tax contributions inside a retirement account, right? So they put money into an IRA. They were not able to take the deduction because they made too much income. So they have basis in the IRA or old for, or or 401k plans or defined contribution plans. Some companies allow employees to continue to contribute over the maximum allowable of 18000 or twenty four if you're over 50. Right. But then those contributions are then after tax. They still grow tax deferred. You pay ordinary income tax on any of the growth, but that basis comes out tax free. But a lot of times people have no idea what the basis is and they forget about the basis. So it's in a 401k plan. Maybe it's worth $500,000 and they have $150,000 worth of after-tax basis in there. What do they do most of the time? They roll it into an IRA. They forget about the basis. And now it's mumbled in this IRA. There's no, And then everything is going to come out taxable at ordinary income rates. So now they're getting double tax on those dollars. That, well, that's very common, Jeff. So then that's, I don't know. I just think it's, it's well... I don't know. There are just a lot of ideas kind of floating out there. We'll just stay <laughs> see what, tuned. Wait we'll and see what see. happens, right? Wait and see. Financial technology, also known as fintech, is changing the way many of us handle our finances. What new apps and software can help you with your financial plan? Visit the events page in the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and register for our free webinar on Thursday, April 20th, where Joe Anderson will show you some of his fintech favorites. That's yourmoneyyourwealth.com or email info at purefinancial.com to register for the fintech favorites webinar, Thursday, April 20th at 11 a.m. Pacific. We got a little special guest today. That we do. Are you excited? Uh, as always. This is the best part of the show. That's what all of our listeners tell us. It's, it's like the rest is like nonsense. It's just blah, blah, blah. <laughs> just, oh. 
We have a local certified financial planner joining us today, Mary Beth Storjohn. Oh, wow. And she's a fee-only advisor right here in our neck of the woods, San Diego. Yes. And I've been watching, following her a little bit, not stalking her. That's she's a happily usually, married man. Usually, what, that's what happens. Happily married woman. A woman. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure he's a very happily married man. Yeah, the married path. Yeah, I suspect. So, uh, but she's doing a heck of a great job of, um, you know, really educating a lot of individuals on really the, the, the true principles of finance. So, I want to welcome Mary Beth to the show. Mary Beth, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And great job on the pronunciation of my last name. Or- yeah, you like that? I've been practicing all yeah, week. It was an entire week. Yes. That was pretty good. Probably has about 40 hours in. Storjohn. <laughs> I, I would imagine. I was impressed. Do some people kind of butcher it? Most people butcher it. I butchered it when I first got married. I couldn't spell it at first. It took me a couple tries. Yeah, my wife butchered my name, too. It's Clopine. Everyone wants to call it Clopine or Clopine or whatever. It's not Storjohn, though, Clopine, right? Oh. <laughs> Well, Mary Beth, you've got a new book coming uh, that's out, Workable Wealth. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you write this book. So the book is called Work Your Wealth. Oh, Work Your Wealth. Your firm is Workable Wealth. Yeah, yeah. The firm is Workable Wealth. The book is called Work Your Wealth. And the book actually uh, came about as an idea in terms of, you know, I launched my practice in August of 2013, and I work with 20, 30, 40-somethings all around the country, and we won't go into, like, whether or not, like, my business model was supposed to be, quote-unquote, successful according to our industry, but what I found was, yes, some people could afford to pay me and some people couldn't, but um, I wanted to give people a place where, where they could start, you know, in terms of building their own financial plan, and so I wrote Work Your Wealth, Nine Steps to Making Smarter Choices with Your Money, uh, it, basically to help my audience. My audience has been growing in terms of readership, uh, listener, uh, people who would find me on podcasts and such. So this book came about as an idea of giving people the tools that they need to start making the smart choices with their money and really breaking it down, bringing it back to the basics. We tend in our industry to get so overcomplicated and to throw so many fancy terms, but a lot of people just need to know, like, what's a stock? Well, what's a bond? Like, how do I actually set a goal that I can achieve? And how do I achieve that goal? We tend to overcomplicate it so much, and this book is a way to just bring it back to the basics and empower people. Yeah, I like how you say, you know, if you want complicated terms, you know, this book's not for you. If you want to yeah. know, you know, all sorts of crazy social security strategies, you know, don't buy this thing. <laughs> if you want to have fun, right, and kind of figure out exactly what you need to do, you know, keep reading. I've tried over the past couple of years is to do a lot more education you know, to people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And it is so difficult for me to get even, you know, two people in the room. You know? So how do you encourage, you know, our, I guess our uh, younger generation, Big Al's a boomer, I'm a Generation <laughs> X, right? But h- how do you encourage people to get motivated about this? Because, you know, when you're in yeah. your 20s and 30s, it's like, well, retirement is, you know, I don't even, it's like 400 years from now. I don't well, even care about it. It's because she has a better podcast than we do. Uh, of course she does. Well, yeah, there you go, right there. No, <laughs> no so... so- So that's the problem, right? So we're taught to start with retirement, like start with the end point in mind. Never mind that this generation is having babies, they're changing jobs, they're buying homes, they're moving across country, they're starting businesses. So no, they're not thinking about retirement for the most part. My goal is like, let's start with what you're going through. Are you you planning a wedding? Great. We should probably talk about a realistic budget and you not blowing all of your money. Or are you trying to buy a house? 
well, let's get to a mortgage that you're also factoring in that you're going to have kids in daycare probably the next couple of years as well. So let's not spend all your money on the house. Like that's where the decisions need to start. And the industry isn't used to going there. Like we're, as planners, you know, working with boomers, we don't typically start there. We start with, yes, retirement planning. But where I start with clients, it's like, what changes are you going through right now? Because you're probably going through like five to 10, because that's what, that's what happens at this age range. What, what do you think one of the biggest challenges are for, you know, people in their 20s and 30s at this point? I mean, I mean, college debt and student loan debt is unbelievable. You got credit card and, and trying to buy a house. And, I mean, juggling all that is, is daunting. You just named all of the issues. Those are all of the things. Uh, student loans, I think, are huge, uh, a huge issue. And the biggest one of the things that I talk to now, if I if I talk to anybody earlier, I talk to people who are planning, you know, college for their kids. My goal is let's talk to your kids about, you know, or plan for the amount of loans they're taking out and what their salaries are going to be on the other side. First of all, if they're taking on two hundred thousand dollars of student loans to become a teacher. What's the break even there? Um, so understanding that when you're going to school, but student loans are a huge hindrance. Um, also, you know, some people just kind of have some unrealistic. Ex- Expectations. So credit card debt, a lot of people just aren't used to managing those things. And probably exactly what you two have seen as well in working. I work with a lot of women, a lot of female clients. Um, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of women who have the emotional barriers, the um, money blocks, money scripts. And I see that a lot with this age group as well. A lot of women are just terrified of money. And so it's, it's really about um, my big thing for them is like, what are your goals? What, what's really important to you? What are your values? And you'll see in the book, that's, the, you know, that's where I start with is put your money where your heart is. Like, let's talk about what's actually important. Uh, and then, yes, there's those barriers, but how can we, you know, set some realistic goals and help you to achieve those? So there are barriers and those are the hard things. But I think the big thing is most people are not clear on what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think that goes with all age groups. You know? Yes, exactly. It is. It is. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you make. You don't know where your money is going. We see it no matter, you know, if you make 50000 or 500000 a lot of people still don't know the cash flow issues uh, you know it's funny we, t- we we al and i kind of joke about this but you know we'll we'll sit down with a, a couple that make let's call it seven hundred thousand dollars a year they have very little cash savings very little retirement accounts right they got credit card debt and then mm-hmm. they have a big mortgage and it's like well how much do you think you spend on a monthly basis you know, and then they'll look at each other and they'll say, "Well, um, the cell phone bill's about 150. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. My power bill. I don't know. What do you think, honey? 200 grand for SD. All right. So I don't know. Maybe five, six thousand a month. Yeah, that's what we always get is that figure. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's what seventy-two thousand dollars a year. You make seven hundred. <laughs> I mean, do you get robbed Where's daily? Yeah. I mean, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh, we don't live high on the hog. No, yeah. no, we're not lavish. Nope. We hear that we're not lavish <laughs> all the time. Hey, uh, Mary, oh, yeah. Mary Beth, how do you um, how do you prioritize retirement savings and saving for a home and paying off credit card debt and student loan debt and and saving to, to you know care for kids and daycare and how do you, how do you go about all that? Go all in. No, um, <laughs> do that. yeah, yeah, so have a, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Just do it all. Um, so basically, it, it starts with like the comprehensive financial planning. And so it comes down to, you know, your credit card debt. Yeah, if you're sitting on $30,000 of credit card debt, you might not get that wiped out in one year. And it's probably going to impact your ability to get a mortgage. So let's be realistic. Can you pay off five, ten thousand dollars in the next, you know, a year for the next three years, and then move into like the bigger chunks towards retirement or towards, you know, home down payment and retirement savings? So, you know, I usually say student loans. Uh, depending on the balances, they can just hinder you and your ability to qualify for a mortgage. It depends on where you live and the state and all that stuff as well. Um, for credit card payments, my goal is to typically knock out the um, 
knock out your consumer debt, your credit cards if possible. Emergency fund, that we didn't even mention that, but emergency fund, I usually say like you have to get that up before you even think about a down payment. So people come to me and they're like, I have $15,000 in the bank. I'm like, great, that's your emergency fund. Let's start now for your home down payment. Right. <laughs> um, they, you know, so there's, there's that. And with retirement savings, I like to factor it in. I'm not, I'm not, if my clients are like 33 years old, let's say, and they've got, you know, 30 years towards retirement, I'm going to tell them what they should be saving. Like, yeah, here's what you're saving. Here's where it's going to get you. Um, But, you know, we're going to start here. We're going to start here because you have multiple goals, multiple things going on, and we're going to adjust along the way. So once you get that house, you know, that's going to free up cash flow here from your savings. We're going to move that towards retirement. So it's really, it really is a cash flow game and trying to do, it depends on the client. We can do one thing at a time, or sometimes I, I, I'm a big believer in multiple savings accounts. That's a big thing I think I talk about in the book as well. Separate travel savings accounts. Everybody, no matter how old they are, needs that because people blow so much money on travel. It's a thing that we like. Home down payment savings account, emergency fund savings account, separate retirement savings. I basically go through cash flow with my clients and tell them, like, here's what we're going to save into each account on a monthly basis and make your cash flow work with the extra that you have available in terms of, like, discretionary stuff. You know, it's just kind of taking it, like, bite-sized pieces, you know? You know, you, mm-hmm. you know, how do you eat an elephant? Is that what that stupid yeah, saying one, is? Yeah, one bite at a time. The thing is, like, a lot of people, which I'm sure you guys see it too, like, a lot of people just don't have the clarity. Like, how much do they, you know, they come to me, they have no idea how much they even need for a down payment, realistically, like, what a mortgage would look like. You know, if they put 10% down, what a house is even cost, and what does that mortgage payment look like? So I'm usually crunching numbers to say, like, yeah, you can't afford a $3,000 mortgage in your cash flow. You need to save more. Um, so those are those are conversations to have. But with the retirement, it's always contribute at least enough to get the match. And, you know, yes, you need to keep saving more. We need to bump this up over time, but I'm not going to paint. I talk about this a lot with my study group of financial planners as well. I'm not going to paint this like dreary picture of, you know, it's all going to blow up in the end anyways, you know, it's because life happens. I mean, <laughs> yeah, because then... very much, I don't enable, I educate and I kind of say like, we're making, you're making these conscious decisions right now. Are you okay with this? Um, and I, and I surely my clients along the way, most clients are so insecure. Most people are insecure around their finances. So my big thing is like, Hey, you knocked out five thousand dollars of debt. That's amazing. Or hey, you got this new home. Like I send them a personalized little address stamp with their new address on it and their last name as a client gift. Like I want them to feel excited that they're hitting these milestones. Yeah, I think that's good because I think we naturally when the, when the picture seems too dreary, we just Hope stop doing is. anything, right? Yeah, because we get drunk. What's yeah. the point? We get drunk. Right? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. And there's enough. Like I said, a lot of people carry the baggage they have from their you know childhood or past experiences with finances forward, anyway. So then, right. then you're telling them like, yeah, you're not going to retire until you're 70 and they're 30. They're like, why bother? So. Yeah, and I think you can't blow people up, but you also I think you do a really good job of of holding them accountable though too. You know, you it's not like all right, well here's the picture. It's not as great as that you might have thought, but I think you can accomplish it if you do those things and if you continue to do the right things ongoing. You know, I think holding someone accountable, I mean, I love how you're saying, all right, well, here, if you got some credit card debt, you're not going to be able to qualify for this home that you, that, 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 that you want. So let's just kind of take things as we see them to help you accomplish all of your goals. It's just going to take a little bit more time versus just jumping into kind of a big purchase that might blow you up, you know, even more, um, you know, get you more backwards than you already are. Exactly. And I usually tell you a lot of clients, a lot of clients come to me and they're doing the right things too. They, so they might be maxing out their retirement savings and sitting on some cash in certain areas. They might be doing some stuff. And then I'm basically saying like, yes, they're making forward progress, but they're not, you know, because they're doing so many right things in different directions, there's not actual clarity around that plan. So a lot of the times it's like, let's bring it together. Like, what are we trying to accomplish? And let's just, you know, put a plan around that. So you're realistic in terms of like, yeah, you want to take that, you know, $5,000 trip with your family every year. Like, okay, you've got that money on hand or like, Hey, you bought that house or that car. 
whatever it is. Like a lot of people, a lot of people are doing good things too. It's just, you know, as I'm sure you guys have seen, it's just there's no clarity around what they're doing. They're just throwing things in different areas and doing what they think they should, as opposed to saying like, here's how I can be impactful and use my money to make me happy. We're working our wealth right now, Mary Beth. Yeah. I'm telling you that. <laughs> hey, uh, we're talking to Mary Beth Storjahan. She's a certified financial planner, founder and CEO of Workable Wealth. Hey, where can they find your book? Anywhere that uh, good books are sold? It's on Amazon. Books on Amazon. Work Your Wealth by Mary Beth Storjohn. Amazon. Everyone buy it, please. Hey, Mary Beth, we got to run. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If you need a free financial assessment, if you missed an episode of the podcast, or if you're just dying to see what Joe and Big Al look like, visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com. Access the Learning Center with resources, white papers, and webinars on investing and financial planning. Subscribe to the podcast and see clips of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, all at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. We just talked to Mary Beth. What did you think? Um, I, I liked what she had to say. Uh, and a lot of times on our show, we talk to retirees or those that are near retiring. But uh, if you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, you got to be thinking about a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of things you're juggling, right? Between paying off debt and saving for a home and, and saving for retirement and how do you buy a car and <laughs> all this stuff, a lot of comp- conflicting goals. And it was really nice to kind of get her perspective. And as she said, in some cases, you know, you, you attack one thing at a time. Other cases, you, you do several things at a time and to make sure you get on track. And Joe, kind of alongside that, I've got uh, an article in Business Insider that I that I saw, 13 pieces of money advice that you can't afford to ignore. And I don't think we'll get through all 13 yet. We know what we'll do. We'll go through as many as we can, and then I'll rapid fire the last ones at the end. The first you one. You already said it, did you? You said 13. Oh, you, now you're stuck. You can't. I'm, I'm, I said I would it. rapid fire, number one. <laughs> Pay yourself first. Done. <laughs> that just simply means have money go into your 401k directly or your IRA directly or your savings account directly right from your paycheck so you don't you don't even see it it's out of sight out of mind before you pay your bills Number two, beware of lifestyle creep. Joe, it's it's so often when people's income increases, their lifestyle increases, and they never save anymore. It's crazy. I mean, the more money that people make, the more money they spend. Right. Right? It's like, wow, now I can actually afford this thing. You yeah. Know, it's I've like, well, been wanting, I got this old beat-up car. I, can't, I, I, I mean, The beat-up car was working fine, wasn't I it? I want the new BMW. Oh, yeah, I suppose. It's yeah. sharp. Right? Uh, number three, take advantage of employer-sponsored 401k. It's crazy how many people don't do that. I how know. many billions of dollars are left on the table because of company match? I, I don't know the number, but it's a lot. Yeah, it's a whole lot of money. And a match just simply means you put in a dollar and you receive a dollar uh, from your employer. At least contribute up to the match. That's an absolute no-brainer. 100% guaranteed rate of return. Yeah, in other words, like let's say you put in $2,000 in your 401k. Your employer puts in $2,000. You put in two, now you got $4,000. That's a 100% rate, rate of return. Right? Uh, invest in the stock market. Just don't try to time it. Trying to time the market is, uh, Joe, I'm not going to say it's impossible. There's people that have been successful at that, but the odds are kind of against you, especially with the way our emotions kind of take charge. And we tend to want to invest when the market is at all time highs because everyone's excited. And we tend not to want to invest when the market is all time lows because we're afraid. And actually, you almost, if you're going to time, which we don't recommend, you almost want to do the opposite. Right. And it's funny, I guess, if, if you take a look at what average what most people do when it comes to timing it's all based on their emotion there's no right. there's no written kind of game plan of how they're going to get in and out of the markets they're looking at oh i hear this in the news i'm going to get out 
ooh, I think you know they're they're just going on gut. They are, and, and that's not that's where that's why so many people fail because they're going off of gut, not necessarily. Yeah, ca- they're case, doing some sort of number crunching, case, even though that doesn't of, work. Most case of the time in point, uh, right? Case in point. I mean, you figure people in the Great Recession that got out of the market and they patted themselves on the back because they didn't lose as much as everyone else, but they never got, got back, back in. in. And now we're uh, what nine years later? Yeah. <laughs> it's like when do you get in? Right. It's very difficult. Here's another one. Or how many people got out before the election? Right, a lot, and now the market's up. So build an emergency fund. Boy, this is huge, and a lot of people don't do it. I just read something like our crack research, the elevator. Yes. <laughs> that's where, <laughs> where we get most of our good info. That's, yeah, that's where I get all my research. It was like some crazy amount of number. Um, 50 60% of the population couldn't afford a $500 medical bill if it came to them. Right. Yes, exactly. I've seen those kind of stats right. too. Right. So that means there's there's not $500 in your checking account. Right. Right. Crazy. And and uh, emergency savings, I mean, if you got nothing, try to get 1 2 3000 bucks right off the bat and then ultimately you'd like to save 3 to 6 months of your living expenses. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. Here's another one. Pay off your credit card balance in full every month. The interest charges on those credit cards are crazy. And you get sort of lulled into this thing that I can afford something that I can't really afford because I can afford the credit card payments and then they just keep piling up on each other until it's out of control. Yeah, I go American Express. Mm-hmm. Even though I pay, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks for that stupid fee. <laughs> but you know what I do get, Al? Yes. I can have... You get a good itemization? Th- yeah, that that I've never looked at. <laughs> and then I get Skyway Lounge access. Oh, well, there you go. Because for, I travel all, so often. All your trips. <laughs> yeah. uh, number, I'm at seven, Joe. Don't sit... Uh, too much on too much savings because I mean if you put your money in a checking account it earns what point oh one right you're losing money safely yeah, right you're going broke slowly yeah it's not keeping up with inflation uh, here's one have more than one credit card ooh that sounds kind of why would you want to do that oh. actually the reason is if if you have like a couple maybe two or three credit cards I'm not saying to use them all it actually improves your credit score now if you have ten credit cards it's going to reduce your FICO score but if you have a couple credit cards or you know maybe a credit card and a Home Depot card I don't know Whatever, whatever, wherever you like to shop, that actually can improve your your FICO score. Do you have a Home Depot card? No, oh. I don't. Do you I have just, any other kind of? I, I don't. Besides, uh, what, actually, Anne's got a Macy's card. Uh, she loves because you get all these twenty percent off. You know, every weekends it's a one-time sale. Yeah. <laughs> always twenty percent off, maybe more. Pay off high interest uh, debt first if you got credit cards. Number ten is always be insured. Make sure you got health insurance. 11, track your spending. Right now, you can do that through Quicken or Mint.com or other sites. Sometimes, uh, if you like American Express, we were just talking about that, they'll send you an itemization of your expenses. 12, pay your taxes and be smart about it. There's lots of deductions. Make sure you're taking advantage of deductions. And this last one, Joe, is super important, is be patient. This is what we've learned from from uh, Warren Buffett. You know, you, you invest a month at a time and compound interest, that's how you build real wealth. Yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. No, it doesn't. And and if you if you listen to some late night show that says you can get rich overnight, it's I would advise to turn the channel because, again, I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's just not very likely. Did, you tell you, uh, did I tell you I bought a bunch of knives? Did you? <laughs> Recently? Yeah. 10,000 of them. I'm going to start a knife. Did okay. you see that infomercial? It, no, I didn't Gets see that. Gets me every time. <laughs> Look at the samurai sword. We'll throw that in there too. You gotta get that. Ten thousand knives. Right. You, you just all you gotta do is get a trailer. <laughs> put these knives on your trailer. <laughs> 
get a flag, and then now you're in business. Right. Perfect. Right. And I was like, oh, I got to get that samurai sword. <laughs> if they're throwing that in. So I'm buying the knives. Yep. So I'm going to start a little, little side hustle. Like little side hustle. Like you it. see me out there, you know, stop by. I'll sell right. you a knife. Okay, I'll buy one. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture. In handy bullet point format. This week, six steps to get super rich. And this is from a man who went from broke to millions. And uh, the individual is Grant Cardone. I thought his name was Big Al. (laughs) Could have been Big Al, huh? So he, he writes he writes this, uh, it's called The Millionaire Booklet, How to Get Super Rich. All right. Right? And so I'm going to go through the six steps because maybe you've been thinking about, you know what, I'd like to try that. I, you know, I've heard that money doesn't necessarily buy happiness, but I'd sure like to try and see if that's true or not. Right? Because one thing that money does do, it gives you freedom and it gives you the ability to do the types of things that you would like to do. So in that sense, it can uh, help with you <laughs> with your happiness. But here's step one, Joe. And this one is kind of obvious in a way, but it's mentally commit. Uh, getting rich starts with your mindset, with a belief that you really can accumulate it. It's instead of thinking it's impossible, you think it is possible. And that's whether you want to be a millionaire or multimillionaire or even a billionaire, whatever, whatever it is for you. You just have to get into the mindset that, I can do this, and you have to keep reinforcing this. And that's, that's hard when you don't have a lot of money. That's very hard. <laughs> and we have seen some of these, um, what do you call them, gurus out there that try to tell you, just get in the right mindset and everything will happen. Oh God, that's so that, that doesn't horrible. work. This, there's six steps. That, that's an important one, but that's step number one. What was the one It was like, if you, if you want to get married, you just clean out half your closet. <laughs> Right, and then you you buy some, you know, just because your 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 significant other needs that half of the closet, right. clean out a couple of drawers, and yeah. do that, and guess right. what? Your spouse is just going to be coming knocking on your door. Right, or you want to you want to live in a mansion? You just set up a, a little vision board of really nice homes. And oh, you, you you're put, starting some fire put, right put, now, big Put that in your office, right? <laughs> I think there's some truth to not. A, I don't know if you want to go to that extreme, <laughs> right? But well, yeah, I mean, self. If if you tell yourself. Hey, this is something that I want to do. You just got to be committed to what your goals are. Yeah, I think, but, but then it gets over. It gets overdone. But see, the, here's my point. The point do you have is, a vision I, board, Al. What's on your vision board? I, I actually did have one once. <laughs> see, he's making fun of it. He's got it. I, I used to. You know what was on my vision board? No, was a. I wanted to get a vacation home in Hawaii. I knew that was coming. And it worked. It, it, yes, see, there it he goes. Don't. Why are you knocking the vision board? I'm not. I'm saying that's only step one. Okay. I think it's great, actually. <laughs> it worked for me, but, but. You got to do the other five steps. That's the point. Because but, but, re- remember when the secret came out, everyone w- had their vision board and they thought it would magically happen. Yes, that's step one. Okay, there's five more steps. So it's all right. Number one, just you, you got to take the end in mind, right? Is right. that a better way to maybe to yeah, say that? Just yeah. to say, all right, well, what do I really want to accomplish here? Set right. some goals and then be committed to the goal. That's right, and 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 actually believe you can do it, right? And here's number two is kind of along what you're saying is do the math, crunch the numbers. Figure out a plan. How's this going to happen, right? And so, if you want to make a million dollars and you're you're selling something, if you if it's a two hundred dollar product and five thousand dollar five thousand people buy it, you got a million bucks. 
right? And, and of course, there's costs. And I mean, I'm, this is oversimplification. But you get the idea. It's like you can't just have the vision board and, and hope that that happens. You, that's important. But you have to then have, have, do the math and figure out, all right, I want to get have $10 billion or $10, $10 million or, or $10 billion, whatever it is. How do you go about doing that? What, right. what, what are the, what's, what's the path here? I'm at an individual. Um, real good guy. He's in his uh, late 50s. He's got 50 grand. Right? right. And he's freaking out about retirement. Joe, yeah. you know, uh, I, I need some help here. What, you know, what do I need to do? And what's that number that I need to get to? And so we just kind of went through a simple exercise, right? It's yeah. like, okay, all right, well, you got 50. Um, how much are you spending? You know, you're spending about 40,000 bucks a year, maybe a little bit more. And so I ran the numbers. I was like, all right, well, in the next, you know, if you want to retire at 70, you know, you need about 900,000. <gasps> okay, all right, all right. <laughs> and then, so, right. So, so I, well, well, let's do the math. Let's, let's see, right? see how you get there. Right, let's see how you get there. You know, how much do you think you could save? And then he's like, well, I could probably save a lot more. But I'm doing this activity. I got this. When I only work really two days a week. Yeah. Uh, okay. First of all, work five days a week. <laughs> and save the difference. How about that? That's three days a week that you can then take that income and save. Right. Right. So right. He's not very committed. Got it. Well, that's right. And and step three is, is increase your income. And there's a lot of ways to increase your income. It could be at your current job. And and I just had this this chat with my son about success and succeeding and whatever you go into. And it's like doing way more that's requested and doing self-study at home and asking questions and taking that extra mile. I, I don't care what profession you're in, from working at a nonprofit to working at a Fortune 500 company, doesn't matter. Whatever position you have, be committed to that position, and you'll be amazed how your income can increase. And then also look at other ways to make income. Maybe you can set up an internet business at home or do some kind of consulting on the side, or, or I don't know, you can walk dogs if you like to, you know, whatever it is for you, figure out some ways to other additional sources of income, maximize your, your job, right? But, but think of other sources of income, because if you if you have a lifestyle and the, and keep the lifestyle the same, this extra income all goes to savings. Right. And that's where it really starts to make a big difference. Number four is find out who has the money and spend time with them. Well, I think there's that's you, you, if you surround yourself with successful people, you, yes. you will be successful. You know, I'm, oh, I'm not... You have a better probability of being successful. Yeah, a lot of the uh, the self help books that talk about this, and and sometimes this seems a little bit crass, but maybe there's probably some truth in it. Is if your friends are broke, maybe you need new friends, right? Different mindsets, right? right? Not that you couldn't be still friends, but but in other words, who are you hanging with? What what's their mindset? And and it is true that we are social beings, and the people that we hang out with, they they they're attributes rub off on us. So I think that's an important one. Step five is uh, stay broke. And this is an interesting one, which basically is paying yourself first, right? In other words, with all this extra income that you're making, save it. In other words, what the rest of us do, what most of us do is as our income increases, our lifestyle increases, and we don't end up saving that much more. How about pretend like you're broke and save all that extra money that you're making. And that's <laughs> that leads to step number six, which is save to invest. 
I mean, that's how you make money is investing because you can only make so much money from your own labor and efforts and time because there's only so many hours in the day. But you talk to people like Warren Buffett, it's just it's just one month at a time, saving, investing, saving, investing, saving, investing. And compound interest and growth does phenomenal things to your overall net worth. Right. And I think money's not everything either. Of I mean, you not. can have a millionaire mindset and have a couple hundred thousand dollars. Sure. Right. I mean, whatever your goals are, because Al and I know people that have millions and they will go broke. I mean, because because of their spending, because of their spending. Right. Right. And then we have other individuals that we know that have very modest um, assets, but they're the happiest people that you'll ever meet. You know, extremely successful in their own right. And, you know, they're living the dream. So I, I think it just basically brings down to that first step of figuring out what it is that you're trying to accomplish. What does that goal look like? Or what does that life look like? Start crunching the numbers to say, hey, can we actually do this? And you'd be surprised that most of you probably can. Then once you get that plan down on paper, right, you're going to be a lot more committed to the process. And then you just, I like that, act broke, even though that you're not, you know, just don't, you know, most successful people just say, all right, you know, spend less than what you earn. Yeah, it's it's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. And and it's it's the it's the reason why in, in a lot of cases, some of our, our clients uh, and individuals that we meet that have the lowest income have the highest savings. Right. Because they've learned that from a very, very early age. You see that mentality with a lot of teachers, sure. right? Which is they've got they've got they didn't make a ton. They may they they do all right, but they don't make a ton of money. Uh, but they have a pension and then they saved a bunch and their retirement is like, wow, it's like they can do anything they want. Get social with your money, your wealth, and pure financial advisors. Follow us on Twitter at YMYW Show. To connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube and Google Plus, just search for Pure Financial Advisors. Tax time's right around the corner, Al. It is right around the corner, and this year, Joe, April 18th is the tax day. And it's kind of strange. It's when April 15th falls over the weekend, then it's usually the following Monday, except when the 15th is on... Emancipation Day? Uh, yeah, on, I think it's on Friday. It's on Saturday or Sunday. I forget which of the two. I think it's Saturday, and then Emancipation Day is on Monday, which is a, a holiday in Washington, D.C. only. So the What tax... is it, Emancipation Day? I don't know. But that's that's we never celebrated it because it's Washington D.C. It's not California, uh-huh. so I have no idea. But at any rate, uh, then the tax day is the day after, which is April 18th, and so that's what it is this year. And Joe, what's uh, one of the things that's going on right now and happens this time of year is tax uh, phone, IRS phone scams. In, in other words. People calling uh, others and saying that you owe a tax bill. I'm from the IRS, and and they're rather convincing and and pretty unnerving because they use fake names, they use bogus IRS identification numbers. In some cases, they know a lot about the targets because they've gotten they've you know through this data mining, they've learned different things about people, and they'll they'll say you know you owe money, you got to pay it right away. We need a credit card. We're going to notify the sheriff and come over and and put you in jail. And, and don't fall for this. The I mean, IRS doesn't it, doesn't do this. That would freak you out, though. It it's would. It's like you get a phone call. It's like, hey, this is Frank Smith, um, IRS agent number 74391. I'm calling in regards to case number 678493. Yeah. Is this Mr. Klopine? Right. And you think... Uh, uh, you're, you're... No. <laughs> 
So here's what the IRS says. Here's what they do not do. They will never call and demand immediate payment using a specific payment method, such as a debit card or credit card. They don't, they're not authorized to do that. They're not allowed to do that. They won't even send you an email. No, no, because the, you have to go through the process of here, we think you owe this and you get to respond and that sort of thing. Uh, they will never threaten to immediately bring in local police or law enforcement. They, they're not authorized to do that. That's not something they can do. They, they will not demand that taxes will, can, uh, should be paid without giving the taxpayer an opportunity to question or appeal the amount. And they don't ask for credit card or debit card numbers over the phone. They, they're not authorized to do that. So I know it sounds convincing. And particularly for senior, a lot of senior citizens, they're at home and they, they just they, they freak out. Right. I mean, they don't they don't know. Well, most people are way above board. Right. And they want to do the right thing. Always. Right. Right. And then so when you get a call like that, it's like, wait a minute. Right. What? OK, well, what do you need? Oh, my gosh. You know, I. Right, because you want to you, you assume it's real. So uh, the IRS says if you don't oh, you don't think you owe taxes, then just hang up. It's okay. <laughs> just hang up, right? Don't give out any information. If you want to, you can call the uh, report it to the Federal Trade Commission, or you could call the Treasury Inspector General. There's different things you can report. If you think you do owe taxes, uh, still hang up and then call the IRS. Directly, Directly, right? And the number is 800-829-1040, like the form 1040, 800-829-1040. And talk to a real IRS agent and, and, and get on a plan to fix whatever needs to be fixed. Yeah, right? you'll get certified mail yes. if you have an issue. You'll know. You'll know via <laughs> mail. Yes. Snail mail. They're, they're very good about that, and they will send you generally several letters and if you don't respond, they'll eventually send you one or two certified letters. And within the, the certified letter usually says notice of intent to levy, which means that they can actually levy your bank account, right? And you think, well, how do they know that? Well, the, I, the banks are required to report your interest to the, to the governmental agencies. And they actually, if you owe taxes and you're not responding, they have the authority to do that. Right. right? And in, in, in really egregious cases, they can actually seize assets. But boy, that's very rare. That would, be some, that would be a large tax liability of someone that just is not responding, not doing anything. And by the way... Wesley Snipes. Yeah, right. But by the way, so if you owe taxes and you cannot afford it, the IRS has a payment plan, right? You get you just get set up on a payment plan. And in some cases your payments are higher than you would like, but they'll at least leave you enough money to be able to eat and have shelter and utilities and Right, they'll walk you through. Like, right. Okay, let's just see what you have, right? What's right. your income? What's your expenses? What's going right. on? What are you doing? You know, we need to get paid here, yes. right? And so they're reasonable. Right. In most cases that I know, and I'm sure there's some nightmare stories out there oh, that oh, I don't sure. know anything about. But. Oh, sure. And I, I mean, there's been a lot of nightmare stories, and, and the IRS has tried to clean up their act a bit. But you have to also realize from their standpoint, they're tasked to collect money. And if they're super nice all the time, no one's going to respond. So they have to have a little edge. So I kind of get that, right? But uh, the other thing, Joe, is if, if you just can't pay a liability and there's no way you can ever pay the liability like let's say 
I don't know. Let's say there was some big transaction that caused a big gain, and and in some cases, like the IRS has the ability to to uh, force a sale of an asset and take the proceeds, and then you've got no money to pay the tax. And let's say that happens to you, and you 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 do have no money to pay the tax. You're getting older, or you're sick, your terminal disease, or whatever. It's you can do what's called an offer and compromise, where they'll take your liability and they'll say, and it's it's a formal process, but they'll you probably have to hire an attorney for that, right? It's it's advisable. Or you, or, you or, know, or, you hear some yeah. of these ads right on the radio. Yeah, of like if you owe more than ten thousand dollars in tax, yeah, call me now and I can get pennies on the. I mean, and is that legit stuff or? In, in some cases. I mean, it's it sounds sensational on the radio, so of course you're going to call. Now, if you're working with a good job, forget about it. This is someone that lost their job. They have, they have terminal cancer. They've got a year and a half to live. There's no way they can pay this $500,000 liability. Yeah, that's going to be settled for pennies on the dollar. Sure. Yeah. Can you file BK and avoid it? In some cases, yes. And there's there's different time periods, and I forget an attorney could, could tell us, but something like two or three years after the tax is assessed, you can file bankruptcy and, and then get the taxes removed, depending upon the kind of tax. Like if it's regular income tax, individual income tax, that's true. If it's payroll taxes, that's not true, because payroll taxes are a payroll withholding. That doesn't necessarily go away. Well, that's like also self-employment tax then. As well, well, it can be. I'm not actually sure on the laws on that one, but uh, but yeah, if that's there's, I guess the point is there's never ignore the IRS. There's ways they'll, they'll work with. Well, you. yeah, you ignore the fake IRS, but the real IRS you don't. It's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions, courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia, and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al are always willing to answer your money questions. Email info at purefinancial.com, or you can send your questions directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or alan.clopine at purefinancial.com. Here we go. Uh, Here's the title of this email for you, Al. Can my wife and I deduct the full amounts from our traditional IRAs? Both my wife and I have 401ks and traditional IRAs. Can we deduct the whole $5,000 for each of our traditional IRAs? We file jointly and have combined income of about $140,000. $140,000. So the answer to that is no. And I will tell you how that works. And that is if, you, uh, if you're married, and first of all, an IRA, you can put $5,500. Yeah, we'll, we'll start there. Uh, or if you're over fifty, it's sixty-five thousand dollars catch-up. That's right. Now, if you're, um, if you or your spouse have have um, earned income, and let's say neither one of you is in a pension plan, you can put in an IRA fifty-five hundred dollars, regardless of your income. You could make a million dollars, and you could put in an IRA and take a deduction. What happens is when one of your spouse is, well, let's say your spouse has a 401k, for example, then there's limits. Uh, in this case, they both had retirement plans, right? So when you both have retirement plans, once you make over $119,000, you cannot put any money into a, a, an IRA and deduct it. You can still put money to an IRA. You just can't take a deduction. And there's a phase out, Joe. The phase out is 99000 to 119 meaning that if your income is below, joint income is below 99000 you can you can both put in fifty five hundred dollars and deduct it. If it's below above one nineteen, you can't put any. And then there's that phase out. Like if you're halfway through that phase out, you could put in half of fifty five hundred as a deductible IRA. But I, I would say maybe even more importantly is uh, because they can't put a deduct do a deductible IRA. Why not do a Roth contribution? Because mm-hmm. their income's low enough for that. Uh, 
uh, and this goes back to the that $196,000 number. Maybe I didn't even say that, but $196,000 number uh, is uh, is a to the ability to do a Roth IRA contribution. Now you never get a tax deduction for those. But uh, it grows tax-free. That's a lot better than tax-deferred. Tax-deferred means that you will pay tax on those dollars later. Tax-free means you'll never pay any kind of tax on the principal or growth or income, right? And that's a for a married couple. There's a phase out there of 186,000 to 196,000, to where you can do a Roth IRA if you're single. The phase out is from 118,000 to 133. Adjusted gross income. One, of, I guess, the nuts and bolts of this is that. If you have a 401k plan, you could still contribute to an IRA, right? Unless yes. you're over 70 and a half. But let's just talk about that because I think there's confusion. All right, I have a 401k. That means I can't put money into an IRA. Or, you know what? I'm working. My wife isn't working. So I am the only one that can put money into a retirement account. She can't. Or my wife's working. I'm not working. I can't. No. I mean, so there's there's spousal contributions that you can make. If you're putting into an employer plan at, your, um, at work, you can still contribute to an IRA. If you got a 401k that you're going pre-tax, it might make sense to do a Roth IRA after tax just to have a little bit more balance and diversity and choice long term. So, um, yeah, there you go. Okay. Good Alan. question. I like that one. This is, we should have kept Mary Beth uh, yeah. a little bit longer. Here. Oh, okay. This question for her? No, but this sounds, This there's a lot here. Okay. It's complicated. Okay. My wife and I are continuing to plan for our financial future. We are trying to determine what our best options are with surplus monies. Here's our options, Alan. Okay. All right. Should we pay off our mortgage at 4% interest? Okay. Pay more off our truck loan at 1.99% interest. Invest the money with our financial advisor. Uh, we have investments in low-risk stocks and bonds, but are still exploring a bit more in the stock market with medium-high-risk uh, stocks. Okay. I recently opened a Scotts Trade account and joined Investopedia to expand my knowledge in the subject. Okay. What do you think? Doesn't say how much, but they have some surplus. So pay off the loan or invest it. Or now he's on Scotch Trade reading this stuff. <laughs> well, as usual, we don't have enough information, but let, let's just maybe take a step back and say here's kind of an order that you might want to save, right? Okay. So, um, and I'll and I'll start with uh, I'll start even before what we normally start with, which is credit card debt. You probably want to pay that off first, get get that handled. And sometimes you want to overlap some of these things. I'm, I I don't want to make this sound overly simple, but but this is kind of pay off that credit card debt. And then with any savings that you have, you want to you want to max out. You you want to put enough money into your 401k uh, to get the full company match, yeah. right? Company matches 3% of your salary. If you put in 3% of your salary, make sure you do that because that's that's free money. Then maybe uh, if you still have more you can save, maybe you want to switch over to your own Roth IRA, get some money into a tax-free account, particularly if you're younger. Boy, that tax-free growth for years and years and years. But this can be really effective if you're 70 as well, right? Then go back to your 401k and then max that out. That's $18,000 that you can put into that unless you're over 50, then it's $24,000, right? Then after that, you might want to um, you might want to save into a, a non-retirement type of account. So I don't know how much they're doing, but let's let's just say they're already doing all of that and they still have some extra money. 
money. I, I'm not a huge fan of car and truck loans, even though that's a low interest rate. I might I might get that thing paid off. Um, the mortgage at 4%, that doesn't bother me too much because that's a low interest rate and it's fully tax deductible. Are you a big fan of big um, mortgages um, or be debt-free at retirement? Um, given the choice, I'd rather be debt-free. Sure. However, I would I would rather have a mortgage and plenty of retirement savings than than no retirement savings and be debt free. Well, you went to a fifteen year versus a thirty, so you want to accelerate I, your debt. I do. I, if you can afford it, if, in other words, if we you get can, the big wallet on Big Al, there we go. If Boom! You, there it is. <laughs> you set me up on that one. If you if you're fully funding your retirement plans and can do a fifteen year mortgage, and by the way, if you have a thirty year mortgage, you can make extra principal right, payments. Right, right, right. And I have no problem with that. I'd rather, I'd basically rather have you do everything else first, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So this is like, all right, you, you're say, you, you already paid off all your other debt, your car loans, your truck loans, your credit card loans. You're already maxing out your retirement plans. You're probably already saving outside of retirement. You still got some extra money, you know, based upon your, your plan. Then, yeah, then, then throw some extra to the mortgage. Why not? But so, you know, there's the other side of that coin, Al, is that, all right, well, here, if I'm paying extra to the mortgage, then that means more is going down to a personal use asset versus those dollars accumulating in, you know, other assets that are more liquid that I could potentially use for income or whatever. And so are you doing it more for peace of mind? Uh, I, yes, I, I suppose. Yeah, I um, think because I, yeah. I would be a lot more comfortable without mm-hmm, that debt over mm-hmm. my head. But but I'll tell you, in reality, I mean, just just figuring out people's emotions, myself included, right? Which is, um, if you force yourself to pay off the mortgage more quickly, then you don't have that money to spend, right? And that's you know, we always we if you do right. if you do the analysis, you always do better saving rather than paying down the mortgage because this the stock market has earned over the last 100 years around 10%, a little bit less than 10%, bonds 4 or 5%, you mix those together, maybe you get a 6-7% rate of return, something like that. Uh, that's that's what you might expect over the long term. Year in and year out, it's all over the place. But over the long term, maybe something like that. Your mortgage is four, plus you get a tax deduction. You'll always do better. I shouldn't say always, but you'll generally do better. Mathematically speaking, given those numbers. And that's right. And that's why financial planners will tell you not to pay off your mortgage early. Now, I'm going to take that one step further and say that presumes you actually save the money. And what we find is most people take that extra savings or what could be extra savings and they spend it. So what you're doing is very smart is you're you're just practicing what you preach of paying yourself first. And you're using a 15-year mortgage just to kind of force that's for savings for you. It's for savings, and, and I'm actually paying Versus it. saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to do a 30-year, but I'm going to pay the 15-year payment to get me more flexibility. Yeah. We see that, but who does it? Yeah, very few people. Right. But but the way that you can do it is you can you can set up an automatic payment with your lender and just have extra principal each and every month so you never think about it. Right? right. It just comes right out of your checking account. You time it with your direct deposit from your employer paycheck, and that's, that, that's part of that concept, pay yourself first. It can be debt payments. It can be savings. It can right. be either one. Yeah, we did that little formula a couple of weeks ago yeah. that I found interesting. Yeah, th- that's right. I'll have to pull that out again. But it was a formula to figure out whether you're really on track for retirement. It's, it's by Or just financially independent 
Yeah. It wasn't, yeah. I, I, I mean, are you financially savvy or what's right. your you know, financial sophistication number? Exactly. Yeah. So at, at any rate, but I, I, I want you to make sure you're doing all your savings first before you're paying off extra on the mortgage. That's very important in my view. All right. This individual, he's um, writing us or writing Investopedia. I'm interested in purchasing a single family home as an investment property. I currently do not have the 20% for the down payment, but I have excellent credit and I'm interested in using a personal loan for the down payment. Okay. I understand that you cannot use borrowed money for a down payment on an investment property, but what if you took out the loan for a vacation or something else, let it sit for six months or so, and use it for the 20% down payment? Hmm. Oh, okay. I understand this will affect my debt to income ratio, but as long as the numbers work, will I be okay? Or does the mortgage underwriter go back and see that some of my down payment came from that personal loan? Hmm. Alan? Okay, well, I'm, what say you? I'm not a mortgage writer, broker, or I'm not a mortgage underwriter, so I can't say with complete authority, but I do have a thought. <laughs> you have some investment properties. I do, I do. And my, my thought is that they will, if it's season long enough, they'll generally won't necessarily go back and try to trace that money. I don't think so. So I think that would probably work. So I cannot get a personal loan for a down payment. Well, here's what happens, I guess, in reality is is a lot of times when people buy their first home, maybe they have 10%, but not 20, so they borrow 10% from their parents, and their parents just have to write a letter saying it's a gift, not a loan, even though after the fact, they the kids pay it off. <laughs> I mean, that that's reality, you know, but I, I'm not telling you to commit fraud, <laughs> but that's what happens all the time, and, and because they, they don't want an, another, they want you to you have actually the money for the down payment. Now, realize that you don't necessarily need a 20% down payment, although if you have it, usually your terms and conditions are better on your loan. But there's FHA loans where you can get a 3% down payment, or some VA loans, it's it's no money down. But not on an investment property. Investment property, it's it's generally going to be at least 20% down, Maybe in some cases 25%. And when you get into apartments and things like that, it could be even more than that. So I think that... So like I was, hey, I'm... I'm <laughs> I think How about that, if I take out a loan for a, a vacation or something? <laughs> well, really, dude. I, I mean, I I think it works, but I'm I'm not a mortgage broker. That's actually a question for your mortgage broker, or and and actually maybe ask a a friend who's in the business. Then then you go to another one when you actually do the loan who doesn't know where that money came from. I don't know. I have no idea. Get your save money. Get a twenty percent down payment. Better yet, do that. Yeah. Do not take a loan for a down payment. Right. Hey, yeah, I was listening to this podcast, radio show, slash whatever. Yeah. And this caller calls in, right? So he's like, hey, I got a, qu- a question for you. And before I ask the question that he asked the host, this individual had a, a single um, single member LLC. Okay. All right, so he's a sole proprietor. Right. And he said he's making several hundred thousand dollars, but he's paying himself 60000 Okay. Okay. So he's asking the question of like, well, I'm already kind of maxed out on my SEP plan because I'm only paying myself sixty thousand, but you know I'm making two hundred thousand. Right. Right. Should I pay myself a little bit more so I can save into my retirement account? So I can put more into the retirement account. But so- if I'm a single member LLC, if I'm the one that's doing all the work, yes, shouldn't everything? 
be wages? Yes, it's a, it's a, the question is flawed. The, 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 let me go back and just say if you have a single member LLC, it's everything that you make is earned income. Hundred percent. Hundred. Yeah. There's no flow. In through fact, there. you're not supposed to pay yourself a salary because it's already considered like salary. It's earned income. So, like some people will say, I'm going to pay myself twenty thousand dollars salary. I make you two hundred. I'm going to pay one eighty, you know, as a flow right. through, so I can save self employment tax. Right. That's now, fraud. Right. Yes. Now, if you're an S corporation, that would be a relevant question. Okay, right? how about if I'm a single-member LLC that files subchapter S my taxes, okay. and I'm still the only one working in the business? Okay, now you're taxed as a corporation, as an S-corp, so that would be a relevant question. Very few single-member LLCs have, have applied for S status, but you can. In fact, a lot of people don't realize an LLC can be taxed as an S-corporation. But, uh, yeah, in that case, then the $60,000 would be earned income, and the 200000 whatever, that would be just investment income. And if you want to have a higher return, retirement plan, you'd have to pay yourself a higher salary. All right. But looking at that in 10 seconds or less, but if I'm the only one in the business, so what separates that, I guess, is my question, is what I'm really trying to well, get the nuts and bolts yeah, here. Yeah. Well, what's, you know, if the IRS comes in, because... Yes, yes I, I get your question. The, the question is, is what's reasonable compensation for your service? And if you're the only one in the business and it's a service business, it's hard to justify its investment income from the company. It's basically all from your own efforts. And so you could have a problem if the IRS comes in and evaluates you. Got it. 10 seconds or less. Yeah. Then he's like... Well, you know, my wife's not working, so I put her on the payroll. I'm paying her. <laughs> like, and she's like, oh, that's great. I'm like, well, you that, might. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little mixed up. She needs work. Yeah, right. Yeah, you, she, she's she, saying that on the radio. Yeah, well, she stays at home, you know, taking care of the kids now. Her. So, I, you know, I'm paying her like 24000 so we can get her a retirement plan. And she's like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, you she should pay that? her a little bit more so she can get a little bit more Social Security. And yeah. I was like, she's got to work in the business. She does and has to be able to prove that she's working in the business, if questioned. There you go. We get the big brain of Big Al. That's it for us today. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. We'll check you next week. Show's called Your Money Well. So to recap today's show, that proposal to tax 401ks to fund the slashing of the corporate tax rate, it's probably dead in the water. Phew. If the IRS claims to be calling, it's probably safe to hang up. And the biggest key to getting super rich is to save. Special thanks to Mary Beth Storjahan, CFP, author of Work Your Wealth, Nine Steps to Making Smarter Choices with Your Money. Be sure to check it out on Amazon. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, this show is about you. If there's something you'd like to hear on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth, presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit Pure purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.